And this is one of those passages which is fought, actively fought against by many teachers today. And so I'm thinking it's really important that we stop and slow down and highlight this issue because this is about false teachers and it's about when to divide and when to separate ourselves from those teachers or those influencers. That's what I'll I'll call them using a modern lingo, influencers. So these are people who are influencing others in negative ways, spiritually speaking. So um, Romans 16, verse 17, let's get this, this verse into our minds so we can then unpack it and maybe do it. Just maybe. <laughs> and, uh, verse 17 says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. The basic idea here, just like the simple, like usually I'll do a summary at the end. Here's the summary in the beginning, is based on doctrine, we should divide. Based on doctrinal issues, we should divide. Not every doctrinal issue, but based on doctrine, that's the simple explanation, we should divide. It doesn't mean hate people, it says avoid people. This is not about hating people, it's not about putting people on your naughty list, like I despise you forever. It's I will avoid this person because they're they're causing these couple things here, uh, divisions and offenses, and that those divisions and offenses are contrary to the doctrine that we have received. This is actually, as we get more into this, I'll explain how it's one of those verses that I think supports sola scriptura, which is a really interesting thing because most Catholics who think about these issues, they think there is no biblical support for sola scriptura, um, ironically. Anyway, when you think deeply about that issue, it's like, it's odd that they would say there's no biblical support for Sola Scriptura. But uh, let me give you some examples of people who fight this. And I'm not here singling them out because I despise them or hate them, but note them and avoid them. That's what it says. And you can't note people without naming names. Not entirely, right? So at some point, I have to, at least within my own life, name names of the teachers I'm aware of. There's a couple of them that I'm going to avoid. Well, there's, there's one guy in particular who um, is with, uh, with the Bethel Church. His name's Chris Vallotton. He's considered the prophet of that, that church up in Redding, California. And I've talked about Bethel a little bit in the past, so I think I can bring this up uh, since I've listened to a lot of his teaching. But Chris Vallotton, he one of the cornerstones of their movement is he says that they are, they're not gathering, according to him, they're not gathering for the same reasons other churches gather. He says other churches, they gather when they agree and they, they separate when they disagree. And Chris calls this denominationalism. He goes, I'm not against denominations, but denominationalism. But this is one of those moments where like you grab a word, give it your own definition, and then, and then attack it. So he has kind of his own special word, denominationalism. And he says, we gather when we agree and we divide when we disagree. And that's the spirit of denominationalism. And so he's opposed to that. What Chris thinks, Chris Vallotton thinks we should do is gather around fathers instead of around doctrines. Now, this is his teaching, and this is a cornerstone teaching in that group, is we gather around spiritual fathers because we're a family. And families don't split apart when they disagree. But the reality is that while a wife should stay with her husband if he's an unbelieving husband, so the family shouldn't split apart because they disagree, guess what he can't do? He can't be part of that fellowship. Not if he rejects Christ. So there is a sense of division that takes place that is part of the Christian family. So they highlight uh, coming around individuals, de-stressing doctrinal issues, and just coming around people. And in this case, it's like Bill Johnson, or, or you name the different spiritual leaders in, in the circles. Um, this is completely wrong. Um, it's unbiblical, right? Let me read verse 17 again, as though it was speaking to Chris. It'd be like, hey, Chris, consider this. 
I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. This is literally suggesting that we divide over doctrine. Don't, please don't let people soften you up and move you away from the text of scripture. Be like, have a radar in your, in your head that goes off when a teacher starts to ignore the plain teaching of the text and moves into fluffy, fluffy, like poetic, I don't know, nice isms that, that we often will hear and people saying that just really, that sounds nice, but it's not true and accurate according to the doctrine which we've learned. There are a lot of groups doing this today, and I don't mean to sound like an alarmist, but I do want to raise a bit of an alarm. Um, recently, the Pope came out with a video, or the, the, the Catholic Church pr- promoted a Catholic news program, whatever, promoted a video of uh, Pope Francis. And in the video, Pope Francis has a kid come up to him and ask him, is my father, my daddy, is he in heaven? He's an atheist but he baptized me and my brother. Now, I don't know the backstory. I don't know if, if they knew. I'm imagining that of all the millions of kids that would like to ask the Pope a question, they somehow filtered these questions and knew ahead of time what they were. But, 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 but the question seemed genuine. The kids seemed very genuine. He didn't look like an actor or something. The Pope decided to answer this question openly and publicly. Now, personally, I would never put this kid on TV and, put, and make a show out of it. Um, <laughs> I would pull him aside. I want to talk to him privately, all that sort of thing. But... But you see, this is where we're softening you up. Because if you say he's not in heaven, you're just a mean person and you're mean to this little kid. You see how we raise the stakes. Let's make this about emotionalism. Let's make this about, you're gonna, we're going to vilify you if you don't. And so what he did was he, he basically affirmed the guy's in heaven. And if you just watch the video, it's not very long. And um, <clears throat> it's translated into English so you can read the subtitles. And the Pope basically says, hey, um, you know, look at this guy. This guy had a father's heart. He baptized his kids. And therefore, would God keep a man with such a father's heart far from God's own heart? And he asks the crowd to affirm and agree with him. Would God put him far away from him? And he says, be courageous, speak up. And, they, and the obvious answer that he's looking for is no. So they go, no. And he goes, that's right. And then he tells the kid, pray to your father. Which is, my understanding of Catholic doctrine would be, you can only pray to people who are confirmed saints. So... I don't think he meant to make the guy a saint, but his words, if they are true, confirm that the guy is not only saved, not only in heaven, but he's able to receive prayers and intercede or hear his, his son, which means in Catholic teaching something pretty profound. Like, like Mother Teresa was recently made into a saint. This is a pretty big deal. <laughs> so um, so th- now the contrary side is this. is like, what do you tell the kid? What do you, t- now, in all honesty, like, I'm not going to answer this question to a little kid, like, that, that age, all sobbing and crying. He just loves his daddy. But let's just pretend for a moment that his dad was Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler has a five year old little boy who comes up to you and said, Is my daddy in hell? Are you going to tell him, you know, and what if he says, My daddy had me baptized? Maybe he did. I don't know. Adolf Hitler tried to tip his hat to different religious groups, so maybe he did. I don't know. Do you then say, well, let me find a reason to say he's in heaven? Or do I just say, you know what? This is not something I'm ready to discuss with you at this age, at this time. There's things you don't talk to kids about at certain ages. That's appropriate. But this is, this is what's gone out. Now, this is, I don't know, if I, if I was a Catholic, I'd be having a heart attack as I heard the Pope saying these words because this really goes against actual Catholic doctrine, official Catholic doctrine that's been affirmed by councils and things like that. Um, and they're going to find ways around it. Oh, the Pope, 
it didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean the guy was in heaven. Like they'll they'll find a way around it. But if you re- just listen to what he says, it's pretty apparent what is what is being intended by what he said. This is the kind of teaching though, because it's softened, nice teaching that lays the groundwork for vilifying the actual biblical position, for vilifying the biblical position. And this is something we're seeing a lot nowadays. Um, there's ecumenical movements out there, and um, ecumenical, the idea of the church becoming one, obviously this is important, but the idea of the church becoming one with those who don't even believe in Jesus or don't have the gospel, this is obviously not possible. You don't get to create Christian unity. Like the Holy Spirit creates the unity we preserve. We endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. We don't manufacture it. So I don't even have the option of being unified with someone who's not saved. I have the option of extending the gospel to them so that they might know Christ and that our unity is created by the Lord and I try to preserve it. But often these ecumenical movements, they're often just covering up their own false teachings. Now there are, there are maybe two sides. In my opinion, there's maybe two sides to these issues. You have people that are really too strict in their doctrine. They're too strict, genuinely. Then there's the people that are way too loose in their doctrine and their theology. So like the too strict people, in my experience, uh, it seems that the too strict people are protecting extra biblical teachings. This is why they're so strict because they don't, they have not only the Bible, but they have extra stuff on top as well. And they kind of keep it all in the same drawer, so to speak. There's no, there's, it's all essential doctrine. There's no difference. And so sometimes they're really strict because they're protecting this whole, this whole entire, uh, you know, circle of doctrine that they have. Um, and that, or and maybe they can't tell the difference between the gospel and everything else they believe. Like, um, I've been reamed because of the recent teaching I did online, just by some people, most people appreciated it, but where I taught about the issue of alcohol. And, um, and some people really were mad at me over this issue because they saw that if I didn't agree with them on alcohol, it was as though I had compromised the very word of God and the very gospel of Christ. Now, they can't have scripture for that. There's no, there's no scripture for that, which scripture's king, okay, to me, this is the issue. But they really can't see any difference between the gospel and this issue of alcohol because to them, everything becomes gospel. That can be dangerous. Everything's not gospel. Gospel is gospel. <laughs> the gospel is the gospel and other things are not. Um, some people, they'll, they'll see there's, like say, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and, and over there that church is denying the gifts of the Spirit, saying they're not for today. And then they say, that's denying the Holy Spirit. So therefore, they're not saved. And I go, whoa, hold your horses. Let's not take every doctrine and turn it into a gospel essential. Let's, let, let's take the, the gospel essentials and make them essential and allow the other ones to not be. Um, so that's the too strict people. But then there's unstrict and the unstrict people. See, the difference between them, I respect the too strict people a lot more because the, the people who are too strict are upfront. They're like, this is what we believe. But the unstrict, the loosey-goosey people often hide their beliefs. Often pastors nowadays will come up in a church having heretical beliefs and they'll pretend they believe the same thing that church does. And then a few years down the road, they unravel and expose themselves for who they are, ultimately being heretics. And this happens even just uh, not long ago. There's a, a new uh, Facebook video that just came out. Ryan Meeks of East Lake Community Church, who's who basically, he, they're openly gay affirming. And he's like, this is the only position you can have. It's, I'm going to do a video on this because I think it warrants it. But basically shaming and vilifying everyone who doesn't agree with him. And what does he accuse them of doing? Shaming and vilifying everyone who doesn't agree with them, which is kind of ironic that he's using the tactics that he opposes. But that's how it is. Now, what happens, these groups, these unstrict people, 
unstrict meaning they're they're super loosey-goosey with even gospel essentials they're often hiding their own counter biblical teachings so um i personally prefer the two strict ones because i'd rather have the gospel with extra stuff that's not needed than not even have the gospel <laughs> if i had to pick between the two but a very specific group of people is described in Romans 16. In Romans 16, verse 17, he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause, and there's two things, divisions and offenses. Divisions and offenses. Divisions is disunity. So it's actually disunity that's, that's the concern here. So you think an ecumenical movement is bringing unity. Well, again, they're bringing unity that doesn't exist. They're fabricating unity that's not really there. But the disunity is a big deal. Um, Titus 3.10, it says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. So you do try to correct them. You try to fix it. But if it's just a divisive individual, they cause division, reject them. The other thing is offenses. Now, so disunity is one. The other one's offenses. Offenses is like sin. It's like I'm causing you to sin. So I, I'm worried about people who are, who are causing disunity in the body, but I'm also worried about people who are causing sin in the body. And I think this creates our balance of who, what teachers am I supposed to reject? What leaders, what influencers am I supposed to reject? That is, they, they, on one side, they can cause disunity because they're creating divisions where divisions don't need to be. Then on the other side, they're maybe even overly, uni- over, overly unified, <laughs> but they're causing sin and they're preaching sin. And so um, I'm to, do, to note those who cause divisions and offenses. They're not just privately wrong here. These, like I said, are influencers. These aren't just, oh, I have a friend and they have some wrong doctrine. That doesn't mean I have to divide from them necessarily. But when they're propagating these things to others, that's a big issue. So they're not just privately wrong. They're influent influencers. False teachers apply to this for sure, but also just people who are inf- influential anywhere in the community, they can be applied to this passage. But then there's the key. Um, and I think the whole key is Contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned. So this is, this is the key, right? Divisions that are contrary to doctrine, those are bad divisions. Causing offenses that are contrary to doctrine, those are bad offenses. But all division and all offenses are not bad. That's simple truth, but something that I think people fight against today, and we need to remind ourselves of this, and there's a reason why it's here in Romans, and here at the end of Romans, after he's given us all this doctrine, and then he's like, ha, ah, now hold fast to this stuff, and watch out for people who are trying to water it down, or wash it away, or lead people astray. All divisions are not bad. Doctrine divides, people say, and it's interesting when people say doctrine divides, I always wonder what they mean by it, right? Do they mean doctrine divides? Yes. Or Doctrine divides, therefore doctrine's bad. Because there are those on both sides. And if you're one of those who thinks doctrine divides and therefore doctrine's something we should avoid, you're missing the point. Doctrine divides and it's a good thing in that situation. Um, that's a positive thing. Doctrine should divide. It should separate the, the, the basically real believers from false believers or believers who are walking with the Lord from those who are pulling them astray is the idea. The gospel offends people. So we have division and offenses being created by the word of God. Jesus himself is an offense to people. And I, we, we always see this, right? Where people try to hijack Jesus. They try to take Jesus and use them for whatever their cause is nowadays. Right? Jesus, he was, he was whatever I'm like. He was, Jesus was apparently part of every political party and supports every candidate. Just ask them. Um, obviously, this is true. I think it's interesting that people would think Jesus would never offend people, but they forget that they killed Jesus because they were so offended by him. 
well, those were the religious leaders. Those were just the religious leaders. Like as though, as though the fact that Jesus was, was, um, had even ridiculed in some sense, the Pharisees means that irreligious people are off the hook. (laughs) Certainly not the truth. Um, Jesus, if he were here today, I want you to imagine for a second, what if Jesus really came in 2018 instead of the first century? What if he came right now? I think if Jesus was here today, if he came in the first, not in the first century, but if Jesus came today, right now, 2018, he would call the world to repentance. He would say, just like he did in every one of the gospels, his first public message was repent. His first public message in every single one of the gospels. And Oprah, Oprah would condemn him for being, for being narrow-minded and for not being inclusive enough. Jesus, are you saying your religion's right and everyone else's is wrong? Modern liberal Christian pastors everywhere would complain that he wasn't acting like Jesus. The the Southern uh, Poverty Law Group would be classifying Jesus as a hate group and his followers as a hate group. Google would not allow him to advertise his teachings because they're hate speech. If he was scheduled to speak at Berkeley, they'd have a riot and protest and not allow him to get in the building. And California would ban his books. That's, that's just the reality of the teachings of Christ. And that's based on the recent law in California. <laughs> First Corinthians one twenty three it says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. So we realize that division and offenses are par for the course for Christians. The ones we want to avoid are the divisions and offenses that are being caused within the body of Christ. When you're causing believers to stumble um, or divide over, and, and not according to doctrine, but contrary to doctrine, that's the problem. This is one of the reasons why doctrine is so incredibly important to us because it becomes the dividing line. Like This is how I discern whether or not that's appropriate or not appropriate. It's not based on my feelings. And this is, this is key because a lot of these, these false teachers, what they do is they use, we'll get there in a minute, they use smooth words. So then they just talk so good and they seem so nice. I mean, false prophets generally seem nice. That's, that's the general idea. False prophets always bring good news. False teachers always speak positively. And so how can I discern? It's not based on how good they make me feel when I'm listening to that guy teach. It's based on how true they are according to the doctrine we've received. It's an interesting study. You might try it sometime. Is like go into uh, like a Bible software program or on a blue letter Bible and you can search in quotes for the phrase the faith and just look at every reference in the New Testament, especially of the faith. That phrase, the faith. Because there's faith, which is my personal belief, but most of the time, the phrase the faith is being used in reference to the doctrines we believe, right? Like the core, the core doctrines of Christianity are called the faith. Because there's the fact that I believe, that's my faith, then there's the faith, which is that's what I'm believing. So when you realize that, these verses change their meaning for you. Jude uh, chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude, right? Jude, Jude 3, which is Jude verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. The faith, the doctrines of Christianity have been given to us one time and it will not change. End of story. There isn't new light that will alter the doctrines that we've received. There isn't going to be a change. It's once delivered as in, I don't expect another testament. There isn't going to be a new New Testament. Right? It's once delivered for all, for all people, not just to the, to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. 
and I'm to contend earnestly for it. And who's Jude written to? Everybody, all of us as believers, not just pastors and leaders and teachers, but just Christians. All of us to be, I will, I will contend, right? Not in the flesh, but I will contend for the doctrines and the faith of Christianity. Galatians 1 we, where this is the famous passage. It uses the phrase anathema in the Greek, which, which the implication here is you're accursed to hell. Like this is the worst possible fate upon you. And that's when he says, let them be accursed. It's that word anathema in the Greek. And here Galatians 1 verse 6, he says, I marvel to the Galatians, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Notice that when one turns to a different doctrinal gospel, they turn away from him who call them. It's a personal turning away from God to a false gospel. It's not just, I have my information wrong. It's like, I've left the Lord because to leave the doctrines of the gospel of Christ is to leave the Lord himself. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. That's an interesting Greek word, which means another of the same kind. It's not really a different gospel. It's not like there's many roads that all lead and you just pick a different path and you'll be okay. It's a, it's a different, like of an ineffectual kind of gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, look at this hypothetical. Even if we, who's we? He's like me, Paul the apostle, my, my traveling companions, us gospel preachers. Even if we or an angel from heaven, notice he says from heaven, from heaven, which would be, you would think an angel from heaven as a good messenger of God. He's not even an angel from heaven. Preach any gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. That's what Paul, that's where Paul takes the Bible and he says, look, because guess what? Guess where the gospel Paul preached is contained. It's in the text of our New Testament. So he takes it and says, this is it, once and for all, for all time. You can't change it. Even if I, Paul, come back later and try to change it, I'm accursed. This remains. Guess what? Apostolic authority did not extend beyond the, uh, or, or up to the level of the authority of the message they delivered. I delivered the message. That's what I had the authority to deliver. But now it has authority even over me. So this is sola scriptura, which is, I think, neat. It's finding it right here in the text of the Bible. Um, it, it may be possible that there's l- no greater sin than preaching a false gospel. And this is one reason why I need to avoid those who are doing such things because I'm, in, I'm increasing their influence. Um, Just wanted you to elaborate on sola scriptura. Okay, so, okay, so sola scriptura, um, sola scriptura is the doctrine that um, the Bible is the only infallible source of doctrine that we have the infallible rule of faith for Christians. So there are other sources of, like I, as a pastor, I have a certain level of authority or in leadership, but it certainly doesn't come anywhere near the authority of the scripture, right? I, I, all of the real, true, simple, doctrinal, this is what the church believes, this is how the church should live, it comes from the Bible, it stems from scripture. And so we have that one infallible source. Um, whereas others would say, oh, no, no, but if a church council convenes and they all agree, then that becomes official doctrine and the church has to submit to that. We'd all be like, no, we'll test that with the Bible, just like Galatians says we should. So, um, so yeah, I, one day I'm going to do a whole thing on Sola Scriptura, make a biblical case for Sola Scriptura because of many people who are asking for such a thing, and I think it would be a blessing for them. 
So the idea is this, looking at Jude 3, Galatians 1, um, the idea is this, doctrine goes out and then it stays the same, period, end of story, unchangeable, that's the Christian faith. If your Christian faith does not match the 2,000-year-old Christian faith, then you're not a Christian. That's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't get to evolve and transform. Now, the window dressing can change all you want. I don't care if people are using ukuleles or guitars or a harpsichord or whatever for worship. Um, the liturgy of the order of service can change. Like, do we do it this way or that way? The, the outfit of the leading teacher can change. All this stuff is not even specified in scripture, right? But the doctrines and the core teachings of Christianity are unchangeable truths. You can either accept them or reject them. What these false teachers often do is they act like they can change them. They, they offer another version that's not really a gospel at all. And this is something we have to be, we have to be aware of. So, new light? No. Paul in Galatians 1 refutes the idea of new light giving a new, new information about essentials of the gospel message. That's absolutely refuted um, by Galatians 1, by Jude 3, by the passage we're in today in Romans. So doctrine does divide. And it's ironic that he goes, note those who cause divisions and avoid them. Or I'm dividing from them. So he's like, note the dividers and divide. But the way I decide whether or not it, it's all doctrine, that's how I figure out which ones I should divide from. So there's three kinds of division. Think of it this way. There's divisions and offenses according to the doctrine we've learned, and that's totally acceptable. I just teach the truth of Christ, and people decide they don't like me, and they, they, they want to spit in my face and run the other way, or they, they can't stand me. That's fine. They, that division is entirely appropriate and acceptable. There's divisions and offenses for unrelated issues. Unrelated issues, and that is not really acceptable. Dividing over convictions, dividing over, over um, uh, basically things that are not part of this core of Christianity, that's not acceptable. And then there's divisions or offenses for um, for false doctrines, like completely extra-biblical teachings that we obviously, we're dividing from them naturally, but we're not going to sit here and say, I'm going to add, add to the gospel and make my, gosh, if you're part of a church, you got to ask yourself this. I mean, you guys are part of a church, but you got to ask yourself this, like, how, how, how thorough is this, is this message of doctrine that I've got? Do I have doctrine for every single little issue in life? Like, I could tell you doctrinally how long a woman's hair is going to be. And that's essential. And I will divide from you if you disagree with me on that issue. Like, if that's the case, I think now you're, you're moving away from the, the, the teaching of Scripture on this issue. You need to slow down and not make everything essential. Because it's not. So, there are issues which do not dis- disturb the core of Christianity but when it comes to the death and resurrection of Jesus, when it comes to repentance of sin and faith in Christ, these are core issues. And so we don't mess with those. Um, <clears throat> we talked about convictions in Romans 13 and 14, but I want to make, it, uh, make something clear. Because of the culture we live in. The culture keeps throwing the issue of homosexuality into our faces, and so we're not bringing this up because we're so homophobic and freaking out about it, but rather because it's the issue they're talking about, we should address it because it's in the public forum here. There are teachers out there along with this uh, Ricky, what is his name? Ricky Meeks? Ryan. Ryan Meeks, thank you. Who just recently, people have been sending me his video recently, so um, just over the past couple of days. Um, and, and, and they've embraced, openly embraced, people who are active 
engaged in homosexual behaviors and they are embraced for every every capacity to be leaders in the church and to preach that this is okay to perform marriages all that stuff they think it's wonderful this is actually a gospel issue but let me explain why and why we should divide because he says note those who cause divisions and offenses the preaching here is that there's a sin which god absolutely commands people to repent of and they're preaching you don't need to repent you can be openly practicing a lifestyle of this sin and it's okay Whereas the scripture says, let me read it to you, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now imagine if there was a person who was an extortioner. And my, my teaching, I come out and I say, hey guys, I know you're an extortioner and you're taking advantage of other people, but it's okay to totally live that lifestyle. And we embrace you in the leadership. You don't need to repent of it. We're celebrating it and we're affirming you. Now I've led them to actually reject Christ because they're not repenting of sin. If someone's living, a, they're a drunkard, they're an alcoholic and they're living in this lifestyle. And I tell them, I openly affirm you. You don't even need to change. You could be the pastor of the church and it's totally fine. But the scripture says that you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because of this. And yes, in the Greek, that is absolutely talking about homosexual behavior. It's actually very carefully constructed to make sure that it includes all scopes of that type of sexual sin. It's not talking about identities. There's no such thing as identities in that sense. It's just an active, sinful behavior, lifestyle that uh, someone has to leave. So anybody who says you don't need to turn from sin and you can still have Jesus has taken away the first part of the message of Christ when he said, repent, repent. So that to me becomes, I have to divide with you on this issue. I would never allow someone to be uh, influencing me in that area of teaching. I would certainly say you as a Christian, if a pastor comes out openly supporting homosexuality, you've got to stop listening to this guy or girl or whoever it is. You've got to note them and avoid them based on scripture. Um, they're, they're, they're causing sin. So note them. Don't turn a blind eye. You've got to actually confront it. Um, you can name names if you want, but I, but I encourage you to be accurate. And here's where we have to have a caution. I like dealing openly with difficult issues, and, but I try to be careful with it. I try to be thoughtful with it. But there are discernment ministries that are out there. Um, and sometimes, I, I'm, I'm actually glad they're out there, but sometimes they go too far. And what happens is, you know, you're writing your blog and your whole thing is finding error in the church. So you find error in the church and you write a blog and people start reading it and you get the hits and you're noticing you get, oh, following and stuff like that. And then you're thinking, all right, what do I have to find? More error in the church. Oh, and if it's a popular teacher and a well-known guy where I find error, now my blog's really taken off. And you see there can be ulterior motives to cause people to be reckless or to very quickly condemn somebody without really hearing them out and understanding them clearly and carefully. And that's something we have to be careful with. We don't want to turn it into a witch hunt, right? There's, there's, a, there's an analogy for this. Um, back in the day when they were going to hang somebody, a criminal, they would wait until the guy was convicted before they built the gallows. Consider that. What if they built the gallows first? You, you get what I mean? So, so I, I want to go like, let me make sure I understand that this person's really, truly wrong. Hear their case. Understand where it's coming from. And then I'll build the the gallows, so to speak, you know, to just cut them off from being able to access the, the believers or being able to access me in their teaching. Uh, build, the, build the gallows after the conviction of the crime, not before is the idea.
So note them and avoid them. Avoiding them, again, does not mean hating them. It doesn't mean despising them or having great emotional feelings towards them. You may or may not have that, but that's irrelevant. Um, I have to remember they're, they're impacting others. They're causing division and offenses leading people towards sin and causing the wrong kind of division. And, and all the people who teach ecumenicalism, you know what they do? They target orthodox, simple Christianity and they vilify it. Because that's pretty much how they teach their ecumenicalism. This is They, they vilify the, the one simple following of Jesus. and the, So they're actually more divisive probably than anybody else in the big picture. Um, so there's there's conviction issues and there's blatant sin issues and that's there's a difference between those things. Um I think it's interesting that that this admonition to like you know use the doctrine you've received to judge the teaching you're getting and it's interesting because it actually calls Christians everyday Christians to evaluate their teachers and decide which ones to avoid. Isn't that interesting? Like you are really called to you're called to exercise this kind of discernment but not based upon how you feel or how boring they sound or how, how funny they are. It's based upon doctrine. It's based upon scripture. And um, precious things, sometimes really precious stuff can take a back seat in our mind and doctrine can do this as well. We just go like, no, I know that. I know that. I know that. But as Christians, we kind of have to obsess over these truths. They're the central. They're the core truths. Um, they can never take a back seat because there are creeping, creeping heretics. That's what I'll call them. <laughs> There's the creeping heretic, right? They, they, uh, they know that they don't really believe core central Christian doctrine issues, but they try to speak the lingo so they sound like they believe it, and they get their way into the churches, and they start influencing people, and then they eventually, at some point, they flip a switch, and they use that influence to preach false things. They know those false things are unacceptable to Christians. That's why they were hidden for so long. And we see this happen occasionally here and there. Note them, avoid them. Note this. Um, as we read Romans, we realize it was written to the Romans, and he says, contrary to the doctrine you have learned, right? That's, that's the standard. This doesn't mean, as I try to apply the scripture to my life, contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Like, whatever doctrine you've learned, don't let anyone change it. That's not what it means, because then it would be telling every religious group out there to never change anything. To all be exclusively separate from each other and never change their opinions. It's contrary to the doctrine the Romans had learned. They'd been taught the pure gospel of Christ. In fact, we have 16 chapters of doctrine right here that they had learned. So we use the scripture to be the test. By definition, um, division is not necessarily bad. So doctrine divides. Yay, good, do it, take those steps. And the hard part is this means there are some people we simply have to literally just avoid. Like I just, I'm going to avoid that person. I'm just going to avoid them. This is hard for us to do because Sometimes we just want to hold on to that relationship somehow. Um, and this doesn't, again, this is not talking about individuals with private wrong beliefs, but those who are influencers. But maybe there's a teacher I like, but they've gone off base. It's an important, serious issue, so I just avoid them. All right, verse 18, let's keep reading, because it's going to describe to us the tactics these guys use, and I think it's really profound. Um, and it will help us to notice this stuff when it happens and not be fooled. Verse 18, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, they serve their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. So they don't serve Jesus. Now, in my opinion, when I've examined some of these sketchy teachers, nobody is faster to yell out loud how much they love Jesus as a sketchy teacher who's got weird things going on 
the funny thing is, is I've never stood in front of a group of people and just been like, guys, I love Jesus so much. I just love him so much with all my heart and soul and mind. I just love him so, so much. Like I would never think to get out here and proclaim my incredible love. Now I've gotten in front of crowds and told them how much Jesus loves us, how much God loves us, but I've never thought. But I've heard it several times as I'm examining a teacher and they respond to maybe someone asking them a tough question about theology and they respond to it by going, you know, I love Jesus so much. But maybe that's why Paul had to say, they do not serve the Lord Jesus. He doesn't make it a question of whether they, quote, say they love the Lord or not. It's they do not serve Jesus. No one's faster to proclaim their love for Jesus than a false teacher because it's the, that's, the, that's the sheep's clothing on the wolf. It's, I love Jesus. It's kind of like, in, having done a lot of domestic violence counseling in the past, it's kind of like abusers. Abusers have intense love for the people they abuse. Just ask them. The intensity of their feelings for those people is really strong, but they're totally abusers. And we just go, that's not really love. Like, that's love confusion, we call it. And one of the things is to realize that, that the more intense the abuse is, the more intense that person thinks he loves that person. That's typical abuse behavior. It's, it's delusion. It's narcissism. It's, it's ego confusion where they're like treating the person as though it's, they're just basically part of my property. It's like someone who abuses their children and then you, you say something mean to their kid and then they jump and start punching you in the face. And you're like, that's so funny because you did way worse than that to your kid. But you saw them as like your property. And, and so this is the thing. I love Jesus so much. But then I go and proclaim things that are not true according to Christ. That's not really love. Love, we like to think of love as a verb. So love can be tested by actions, not by, not by poetry. And not by proclamations of how much and how deep my love is for the Lord. Um, if my doctrine is true, then that's demonstrating a love for the Lord. If my life is obedient, that's demonstrating love for the Lord. So why do they say? Because they're deceiving, according to verse 18, the hearts of the simple. Simple here is people that are just not thinking very deeply about things. That's who they're deceiving. They really are just tricking people who are kind of simple-minded people. They're gullible. And that's who these teachers are going after. I wonder if you put together all of the followers of some of these guys that are false teachers online and in the world around us, and you said, let me talk and see, let me see how deep they are in theology. Let me see how deep they are in, in, the, in the Bible. And they probably aren't very deep because they're the simple and they're, deserve, they're, they're uh, deceived by these guys. So who are they serving? They're not serving Jesus. According to verse 18, they're serving their own belly. Now, at first that might strike you as kind of strange. Like, so they're gluttons? Like they're serving their belly? It's all about the carne asada they get for what? No. It means <laughs> belly is here uh, using symbolism for a carnal appetites. Because your, your belly represents your desires, what I'm hungering for, what I'm craving. So what they're really serving is their own desires and their own cravings. Now, this might be pride. This might be power. This might be wealth. This might be their own fame or it might, you know, you, can, you name it. It could be just any group of things. Some people are literally in ministry because they, they love the accolades of other people which is ironic because that has not been my experience in ministry <laughs> is that you, it's a great way to get accolades. But for some people it is, I think doing youth ministry in particular is not a good way to get accolades. Um, not that we need them. Please don't give me accolades. It's not my goal. <laughs> I just wonder what world they live in where they're getting all this praise from people all the time. I don't even want it. That's, it's just awkward. Um, anyhow, how do I discern these guys? How do I recognize them for who they really are? 
is they have these weird cravings, these desires, whatever those desires are, they're their desires, not the Lord's. But how do I recognize them? What do you guys think? Doctrine. Doctrine's the thing. Like that's how I discern between them. I use doctrine. I don't use my gut feeling. I use doctrine. Now the Holy Spirit might just simply show me. I mean, I have just a just wisdom of discernment from the Lord. But the way to discern it for the sake of everybody else in the body is going to be to show the doctrine is wrong or the doctrine is right. Again, that's that's sola scriptura, testing teachers with the given word. So what do you do when you've got wrong theology? How do you get people to believe your bad theology and your wacky teachings? The tactics are right there. The two things he says in verse 18, smooth words, flattering speech. Smooth words means you're good at talking. You're smooth talker. Like you're, you're just, you're not only effective at communicating truth, you're, you're smooth. Like, ooh, you took me for a ride with that speech of yours. And this is not even considered a bad thing. You're just, this is what they use though. This is the tactic. I will hide my bad teaching with my smooth words. They also use flattering speech. This is a very interesting word because it's eulogia, um, eulogia, uh, excuse me, in the Greek. But it means to, like to eulogize, to bless. You could actually translate it as blessing. So I'm going to use smooth words and I'm going to just bless people. It's all good. God loves you so much. I'm just proclaiming the love of the Lord for you. He loves everybody. He affirms everybody. Bless you. God's going to bless your business. God's going to bless your kids. God's going to bless your health. God's going to bless my false doctrine. It's just so much blessing. Blessing, 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 blessing. As Christians, when I'm evaluating teachers, that person blessing me means nothing. It just doesn't mean anything. I need to get to the doctrine. I got to listen to the actual teachings. Now, there are blessings that are good, and they're from the Lord, right? Paul, in, in, in Romans 15, 29, one chapter ago, he says, I'm going to come to you, Romans, I'm going to visit you, and I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Same word. The difference is these teachers will use blessing as a mask to hide false teaching. And because it sounds so positive and it sounds so nice that people lap it up, nothing's different nowadays than it was back then. The teachers are using the same things. So my thoughts are this, like as I teach... My fear is that I would, I would work too hard crafting the, the, the speech craft of what I'm saying and that I would actually set congregations up or people who I'm teaching that I would set them up for this kind of false teaching because if you're raised in the congregation where smooth words and flattering speech is the normal spiel that comes out of the pulpit, then you're, even if that guy wasn't a false teacher, you're more susceptible to it because that's what you identify as preaching. So my thought is this, just, just a pragmatic thing is rather than using smooth words and flattering speech, I just go for utter clarity as much as possible. <laughs> like be as clear as possible, explain it as carefully and, and plainly as possible and use clear words and use accurate theology. That's been my strategy personally. And I'm hoping, in all honesty, as, as I put these teachings online, hoping to influence other pastors that they don't have to filter all their Bible studies through smooth words and flattering speech. Like, there's nothing wrong with a beautiful poem that represents your point. But let the core of your teaching be teaching. Be the clarity of the truth of God's word and not smooth words and flattering speech. Because I fear that if I use others, other things, tactics, even to teach accurate theology, I set people up to be tricked. And let me, let me give you an example of what I mean in case this is a little bit elusive. Um, when Joseph Smith fabricated the Book of Mormon, 
and then presented it to people trying to say that it was another testament of Jesus Christ, a new New Testament. He did one particular thing to try to trick them. Do you guys, do you guys know what it was? When he, when, he, when he fabricated it, he tried to make it sound like the King James Version. Because for the most part, the King James was the one book in your library that sounded quite like that. Thus thou, right, thicket, forsooth. I don't think forsooth is in there, but, right? Now the King James, nothing's wrong with the King James. I, what I'm trying to tell you is what he did was he tried to make it sound like the, like the lyrical sort of crafting that happened with the King James translation. Why? Because the simple-minded would read the Book of Mormon and go, this just feels like the Bible. Like, now this is, when you really think about it, it's idiotic, right? Like, as if you would say, like, well, if you write like the King James, it must be scripture. Like, that's utterly folly. Like, the, you know, it's, first off, it was in Greek originally, right? And Hebrew, and it didn't, it translated into that particular style because they wanted to, not, not because, anyway, long story short. Um, this is the same thing I see, is that if we, if we identify preaching as having a certain kind of smoothness to it and a certain cadence and a certain kind of heart effect and all this, then if, if someone can copy those cadences, then they can make people think their false teaching is real teaching because we didn't focus on theology. I think the church has to focus on doctrine and theology because how do you discern false teachers if you didn't get really good teachers to begin with? And uh, who does he ultimately deceive? Uh, the hearts of the simple. Not the, not the wicked, just the naive. The false teachers are tricking the naive. They're just naive. That's it. They're just simple. How, how do we fix this? Well, we educate them with Christian teaching so that they won't be naive. So we have to avoid them um, so they won't have access to the simple. I'm going uh, to name a few names for your sake in case you were curious to know them. But guys who we should avoid, I, I think a few of them are, they're popular on TV and stuff like that. Creflo Dollar, like, avoid that guy. Like, please note him and avoid him. This is not good teaching. Benny Hinn. Like, avoid that guy, please. Joel Osteen. Smooth words and flattering speech is his method. Now, in and of themselves, smooth words and flattering speech aren't automatically evil. But the doctrine's not right. The theology gets left in the dust. And he rarely will deny good teaching, but he rarely will actually teach it. And there's something missing there. Um, any pastor espousing the pro-gay agenda, which is an entirely cultural thing being pushed on the church, but many are buckling to it because they'd rather be approved by the world and they believe that they're being simple-minded oftentimes about the issues, not really thoughtful about it. I think that this is, these are guys we have to avoid. Note and avoid. This isn't just restricted to the church, though, is it? Oprah Winfrey is, I mean, she's definitely the definition of a false teacher. She talks about the gospel of Jesus as though it was an evil thing when she does occasionally talk about it. But then she'll reference Jesus as though she supports him. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus, right? Which Jesus? <laughs> but she goes, the idea of a jealous God is just, is just repugnant to her. God is jealous. I'm like, well, have you thought about the issue? <laughs> Probably not unfortunately. And I think I have to throw in Pope Francis in this list. He's, he's, his teaching currently is not very Catholic, actually. Um, but we, we should note them and avoid them. Now the world's like, you're being mean. Okay, that's fine. Doctrine divides. Let it, let it be. Let it be. 
Um, well, I'm just going to touch verse 19. Then we're going to we're going to end for tonight, and we'll pick up here next week. But uh, next time. It says, for your obedience has become known to all, therefore I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the one thing I want to point out is this. Wise in what is good is, is in, the, in the context he's going here, is you understand doctrine well enough to actually test the teachers you're listening to. That, that's wise in what is good in this context. You get it. You're not tricked by flattering speech. It's not just, wow, that was so encouraging, or he was such a good speaker, or such a good orator. You're able to hear all that and pick out the doctrinal points and make good decisions based upon that. that that's why I think wise and what is good in this context. So it's calling for the church to be educated as Christians um, in the things that we believe. So let's pray. Father God, um, tough stuff because it, it's heavy um, when we think about how many false teachers there are. That there's, there's whole areas of the, of the world right now where false teaching is actually abounding but we trust your word, and we want to let your word be the thing that gives us discernment to, to divide between true and false teaching and, and things we should, we should embrace and people we should avoid. We pray for great wisdom, Lord. We pray, for discern- we, pray we, wouldn't, we wouldn't divide with a divisive attitude, but would divide with simply a, a faithfulness to your word and a faithfulness to, to the doctrines of Christ. We pray, Lord God, for uh, the discernment to see what's going on around us and for wisdom to know how to handle it. Uh, we pray for those discernment ministries out there, Lord, who are actively seeking to expose false teaching. We pray, Lord, you'd help them to not get caught in the black hole of um, seeing witches everywhere, but rather to have real discernment and to bring their information with clarity and truth. We ask, Lord, that you'd, you'd let them be a, a healthy and fruitful uh, part of the body of Christ in their, in their, in their ministries. In Jesus' name, amen.